0: Aloha. I am so excited to have Reverend Richard Carlini. Did I say that right? <laughs> With yes. me today. He's he is just a wonderful man. We had the opportunity to be on a panel together for a big Unity Church. I started to say Grief Fest. I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> it was a uh, a, a wonderful program. On, yeah, it was kind of a wonderful program on dealing with grief from different perspectives from from different authors uh, on grief in December, I guess it was. Yeah. And I just, I knew then I wanted to have him come be on the podcast with me because he's got an incredible background and I'll, I'll let him introduce himself to you because he, he's very special. So can you tell us about you?
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Emily. I It was great to be on that grief fest, as you call it. (laughs) Well, it wasn't grief fest, I'll tell you. The chat was extremely interesting. It was moving through there. Well, you tell you a little bit about me, uh, you know, I have a long history in the healthcare industry. I became a nurse, a registered nurse back in 1974 when there were very few men in nursing and and went into emergency and and, uh, intensive care medicine and then as things changed in the world of healthcare, I, I just was not that kind of a nurse anymore. I, I didn't get excited about the sirens and the, the, the emergencies and found that I was happy lollygagging well, yeah, a little bit more. So uh, I discovered home care and hospice. And gosh, I was in hospice for over 25 years. And so... Mm-hmm. In the last part of my career, I in healthcare, I, I spent time as an administrator of several different hospices and c- clinical director and regional director. So did a lot of work with death and dying, a lot of work with grief, bereavement programs, that sort of thing. And then somewhere in my early 50s, I fought the call to ministry, but alas, I didn't win. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> I became a unity minister, from, uh, graduated from what was called Unity School of Religious Studies in 19, uh, 2004. And so, and I had uh, pioneered a ministry in Central Phoenix, uh, been an associate minister at uh, Seattle Unity. And right now I'm a part-time minister at Unity Center of Davis in Davis, California. And I also have an alternative ministry, which is at times a grief fest itself. <laughs> Uh, doing death cafes or dialogues about death and dying, and and classes on death and dying. So somehow I've gotten into this line of grief, and 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 really, what's important to me too is finding happiness in the midst of grief. Uh, grief is a part of life, and as we work through it, I think it's really special to keep the knowledge that we can have, we will have happiness. We will feel it. And, and if we can hold on to that from the beginning, it certainly makes it an easier thing to happen.
0: It does. I, it, you have just reminded me a couple of things that I was at one point in my life, a licensed vocational nurse, and I, I started that in 1975. So I wow. did that while I was going through college to get the rest of my education. And my specialties were uh, O-B-O-R and E-R. At the ER mostly because um, I still own my family's ambulance company. That is 62 years old now. So,
1: <laughs> sorry that I chuckle, but <laughs> you don't look much like an ambulance as a company owner. <laughs>
0: But. Well, we never thought we were going to do something like that, but it, it happened, and it's uh, it's been kind of a wonderful part of my life. But in those days, you only had to be 14 years old and have an advanced first aid certificate to be an ambulance attendant. 14? 14. So my dad was, it, it was a small town, and my dad was the uh, Red Cross first aid instructor, so he made sure that I was trained by the time I was 14 and went on my first call when I was 14. I love that. So, <laughs> I've, I've got quite an extensive uh, background in, in different healthcare related things. And then my um, husband before Ron, Jacques, was a, a bioethicist and his specialty was living and dying.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And he was the facilitator for the, the first real grief group in the community where he lived with somebody who was also a, a marriage family child counselor. So the two of them did the, the group together and he used to come home after those group meetings, kind of almost depressed, which was odd for him because he was one of the happiest people I ever knew. Our our bird laughed like him. Our bird didn't talk, but I'd think that he was home when he wasn't because I'd hear him laughing <laughs> that, that much. But when after... I just, I had no desire to go to a group after I had that experience with him. And then after Ron died and I was living here on Maui, I thought I got to do something. I've got to meet people somewhere. But again, I was just fighting going to a group because I didn't want to go sit someplace where everybody was crying. And one of my people that I had met said, well, come to a death cafe with me. Mm, And I'd never heard (laughs) such a thing before. And so I went with her and I said, ah, I've found where I need to be. And it was really good. And the person who was facilitating it was doing so many different things that he kind of started letting it slip and so I went to him and I said you know if you want me to keep this going I'll do that because I want to go and so I I did that for a while and then you know the pandemic happened and all the face-to-face stuff stopped and but I love the concept of a death cafe I was so excited when I heard you mention death cafe because I really like it a lot.
1: No I'm going back to the happiness thing again but yeah to be able to get to happiness If we could start to have these talks about death and dying, about grieving before or or just begin to have them even now before additional traumas happen that Mm -hmm. lead us into grief and get started on the conversation. To open up to it, we're we we more open up to the process of grieving and we can work through it. We're open up to allowing ourselves to grieve then. Right now we're we're in the society in America where we're not that open to grieving. I mean, when was the last time somebody said to you, "Oh, you're grieving, thank goodness."
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> nobody wants to talk about it. that's that's one of the reasons I like to talk to people who are grieving because they can talk about it. But as somebody who hasn't either hasn't really had a deep experience with grief or it's been a long time ago, or they just don't want to deal with that sort of stuff. and it It makes it really hard. After Jacques died, I didn't have anybody. Everybody just disappeared. And we were very prominent in the community. We knew tons of people. And I was shocked. I stopped getting invitations anyplace. And it it was really, really hard. Because people kind of, once once one person dies, the door kind of gets closed on the, the people that they're close to and i think that's why the the death cafe here appealed to me so much. It, we had it at a, a mexican restaurant with uh, guacamole and nachos and beer and cerveza you know and <laughs> in margaritas. a real cafe.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it was just really cool.
1: well you know it's 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 so interesting the different cultures and the way that they process Grief and the way that they even grieve uh, about the loss of the loss of uh, a loved one's uh, a loss of the physical presence of a loved one. But you know, I think today there's so many grief situations going on at once. And we, we touched on this at the grief fest. I think I'm mm-hmm. gonna call that from now on. That there's so much, it's complicated grief. We we don't know we, we've got a shelf full of grief packages up there and we've got to deal deal with them one at a time god knows they never pop up one at a time it's two or three and you got to pick figure out which one you're gonna invite in for the day and deal with so much has happened and and you know it. and what i think is traumatizing today is that it's this that sawtooth type of a curve with you know it's it's happening and it isn't happening and it's happening and it isn't happening and here's a surge and there's not a surge and and so and then my mother is locked in an assisted living facility since before Christmas again and uh you know what do I do with that how do I process that a friend of mine was going to pick up her 92 year old mother and it was it was right before Christmas of course that's when Omicron started coming on and before Christmas Day, they locked the assisted living facility down, and she was bringing her to her house to have Christmas dinner with just mm-hmm. her, so it would be safe and everything. And I, I felt bad, and uh, but they zoomed her in to the family, and I think we we were talking about virtual, uh, getting used to being virtual or surviving virtual, virtual world, virtual life, and I think we better get used to it. Uh, you know, I think it's ironic how we. When I was younger, I remember the Jetsons, meet George Jetson, and you know, everything, you know, the telephones were all video conversation, and we thought, oh, video, wow, I can't wait, you know, maybe that'll happen someday. And we're resisting it. Some of some are. I'm really enjoying it. It brings me happiness. <laughs>
0: Me too. I was just uh, telling somebody today I actually was on a, a grief panel earlier today and I was it was about my book and I said, you know, it's because I live on Maui, which is it's a wonderful place but it's extremely remote. Had my book come out some other time other than during the pandemic, it would have been a challenge for me to get a lot of the marketing opportunities. But because it came out now, I was able to have a virtual book launch. And in that community that I lived uh, before with, with Jacques, their uh, local bookstore had a book launch for me there. And it was all, all Zoom. And I'm able to do the, this podcast. I'm able to be on podcasts. I I have been on podcasts or radio interviews or TV interviews all over the world, every place from Norway to Spain to Singapore to New Zealand. And over, well over a hundred in this year since my book came out. And it's it's not stopping anytime soon. I never would have had opportunities like that. I wouldn't have been able to reach people with, with what I have to offer them had we not had this technology.
1: I, I think that's wonderful. I mean, we learned something. That we were wishing for, and we moved into it quickly. Mm-hmm. We we moved into it quickly as a world almost, as a as a as a species, and uh, adapted to it. We're, we're very resilient.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're very resilient as a species. We we, you know, we picked up after that shelter at home and said, okay, what are we going to do now? What uh, who are we? What are we? We're still finding out. But uh, we're very resilient. You remember Billy Engelhart from uh, mm-hmm. who was the chat moderator? Yes. Well, he, he and I started uh, our podcast, "The Healing Power of Grief," right as the the shelter at home started, and mm-hmm. so we did 52 shows. Well, maybe 47 during that time period where there was everything happening from the pandemic, from sheltering home to George Floyd to to the insurrection. Mm -hmm. And the grief that surrounded that was we were able to bring in uh, topics that we never would have thought to bring in before. And we did talk about grief at the end of life. But, you know, we spent several weeks talking about the grief of of the potential civil war in the mainland, you know, between blue and red. Uh, Wasn't it blue and red before, too? My goodness. And uh, (laughs) I just, you think I would have cut onto that before. And... uh, (laughs) It was fascinating at the different and watching this complex grief started to have that happen and, and change. We, we need it. That's why I think death cafes are so important. We're, we're having, you know, I'm switching here a little bit, but That's staying on okay. the death cafe, I'm teaching a class right now uh, to the ministerial students at uh, Unity World Rights Spiritual Institute Ministry at the End of Life. And it's a real uh, eclectic kind of uh, group, and it's all virtual, right? Uh, this portion of it. And uh, I have a different, oh, the demographics are everywhere. It's not big, about seven uh, students, but one is in New Zealand, and they're in each time zone. And there's a younger, most of Unity ministers are middle-aged, you know. I'm sorry if you're listening, Unity ministers. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I could have said something else. And, uh, <laughs> but I asked uh, one of the girls in the class uh, when, uh, when, I didn't want to ask her age. I said, when she graduated from high school, because she had made a statement. She said, well, I don't know about the age group that you guys are in, but my age group's talking about death. I mean, <laughs> to our face all, face all the time. We're, 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 we're talking about it because <laughs> it happens. <laughs> and we're seeing it all the time. And I said, "Well, when did you graduate from you know high school?" And she knew what I was doing, but she said, "2014."
0: Well, wow. three of the other, uh, yeah, uh, three of the other
1: people in the gas, <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting because we got into a discussion about it because it's important because you know we've got so many generations working in the system right now more than we ever had before oh, yeah three and now we must have six going on and uh we're similar but different but uh you know i think uh, my generation we're trying to wrap our head around the pandemic blue and red people won't take a vaccine i don't know i remember when i got the polio vaccine i remember the t- I remember how proud i was when i got the it, which one gave you the circle? That, oh, no, that was the polio vaccine. No, polio didn't give you the circle. It was BG. the other one, tuberculosis. Yeah, BG, that's right. Tuberculosis. Big, that's big. right. Yeah. Oh, I got it today. Yeah. yeah. We all got to wear
0: our 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 tattoo of that day.
1: <laughs> we did. We did, and it was what we did, and you know. So I think there's grieving about having to take. The, about having the vaccine out there and not wanting to take it and not taking it and being, going through all the, you go through if you feel that way. And then you take the vaccine and people are still getting it. So you're grieving, or you, or you get the virus and you're grieving that, you know, why did I shelter at home if I if I got the vaccine? Or why, why didn't I take that trip to Aruba? But, so we have to, such a reflective time, such a, a resetting time, and it's. Uh, I've been taking advantage of that, and reflecting, and taking classes, and and enjoying doing things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I, I've learned to. I remember saying at the first virtual church service, "Well, I never wanted to be a televangelist." <laughs> and here you are (laughs) and and here I am and I can't pass the the collection basket either so I have to learn a new way to do that too (laughs) and so we did and uh, but you know uh, it's a time to reflect and reset and and really look at grief differently look at death and dying differently I've seen so many wonderful things happening at death cafes. I'm having a sort of death cafe. It's called uh, Dialogue on Death and Dying. It's my version of a death cafe, my version of what is known as a death cafe. As you know, death cafe doesn't particularly like you to, to vary from there. Yeah. And that's about 15 years old. And for me, I think I, I we've moved past that, and are looking for resources and that kind of thing. And so I do that virtually, and so it's on uh, February the 19th, and it's at uh, Pacific, uh, it's uh, uh, at 10 a.m., that's a Saturday, uh, Pacific time. And uh, if you want more information, you can go to transformmyself.org, transformmyself.org. And Barbara Carnes, who's an end-of-life specialist, will be there with us that day. And uh, geez, I th- it's it's always interesting when Barbara's there. Barbara just has Barbara's books, which I'll, I'll, I'll let me mention to, uh, to you, too, at bkbooks.com, bkbooks.com. Her books are written in language that we can all understand. When I was in hospice um, over the years, I must have given out myself personally well over a thousand of her book books. Uh, wow. gone from my site. Uh, it's a pamphlet and it's just so helpful to families of people going through the dying process and and it's a process that we all go through you know uh, Emily I love the fact that the death death doula movement is taking off oh yeah that's amazing oh it's so wonderful and it, and it helps us see that life and death are they're comparable Uh, We labor to come into this world and to be birthed and we labor to leave the human experience. And so speaking of happiness, it's important that we enjoy the human experience while we're here Yes, and make the most of it and allow ourselves to know that one day we're going to labor in some form of labor as we die.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and the good thing to know is is that, well, the universe always, is what they've told us that matter cannot be destroyed or created. It always is. And so far, nobody's told us different to that. Some people have tried, but they haven't been right. But, you know, and the universe is just forever and ever. So we're, we've always been here, and I guess we always will be.
0: Yeah, I'm sure of that. I think that's one of the the reasons... For me, I can focus on happiness. Absolutely, I still miss my husbands. I always will. I will always grieve them, but they're in my heart. And I know that they would not want me to be unhappy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're not saying that, all right, it's okay that they died. You're saying, okay, it's not okay that they died, but they were going to. But I'm going to be okay here as Emily. Mm-hmm. That I can move forward as Emily, and I can be happy. I uh, Thanking them. You know, it's so much about gratitude. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just being thankful for the time that you had with that person, that they, they were present on this human experience with you. And then that their thoughts are always with you. Our thoughts are always there in the midst of divine mind. And, and, and so, you know, we can grab onto them. Uh, and be with them, feel them.
0: Absolutely. I know Jacques wrote an ethics textbook that was published in 1975, and it's still being used in universities around the world. It gets revised by somebody different because obviously Jacques can't do that anymore. And and with the ethics, they have to update it every couple of years to keep the, the topics within it to apply them to what's in the book current but it's like he's he's still teaching you know all (laughs) over the world he's teaching
1: and and uh, those people that are teaching his thoughts are still receiving thoughts from him new new thoughts Mm -hmm. you know and uh, creative thoughts thoughts that he was maybe let go of to gather one uh, something different and bring it out and it's still coming because they know what he knows and that brings hope and peace and and rest and and happiness and and uh, you know you you almost end up leaving a legacy unintentionally Mm -hmm. when you let yourself realize lives that you've touched lives that continue to go on that you've touched that That you've shared this human experience with. Just a just a quick story, because I know we're running down. So speaking of lives that you touched, leaving a legacy, this year was such a treat for me that on 9-11, we always, I mean 9-11, those of us that were there, it's a day that you remember, right? It's like the day that John F. Kennedy was shot. If you were there then, but there are enough of us there. So I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing. And uh, when the second airline hit the World Trade Center, the person that I was with, and I was in a dental chair in Hmm. Kansas City. I was going to seminary at the time. And the dental hygienist that I was with, we just stood there. with. She could have done the dental work because my mouth was just wide open, you know, watching this. And this year she found me on Facebook and messaged me. She said, I think of you every year that we were together and the energy that we felt together when that was going on. And I'm reaching out to to make, I think, I'm sure this is you, but I'm just reaching out and I understand if you don't want to connect. And I wrote back, thank you. I connect with you every year at this time, you know, and I can still, I can picture that dental office, you know, Mm. and it was very modern. They had televisions hanging down in each cubicle. so." All the patients and dentists were aghast. Oh, you know. wow. But so, you know, you don't know what lives on who you've touched or or what you've done that's touched somebody.
0: Yeah, and and it can be quite remarkable when, when you hear sometimes something that someone has said or done and you didn't even know about it. I hear about things that, because Ron and I, were together for 10 years so we both had quite a bit of life before us and I'm just always kind of tickled when I hear about somebody who knew him or did something with him or you know had had fond memories of him and it it's just really nice and I, I'm still very close in touch with Jacques's family all of his cousins are in their nineties now <laughs> to one of them actually came to Maui for her ninetieth birthday and brought her sister with her <laughs> wow. and stayed at my house because they just thought that would be a cool way to to celebrate. And we just had a ball and it, we were talking about Jacques the whole time. And it was like, he was there with us. Oh. And it's so, so cool that yeah. it, you, you can have connections forever if you're open to them. And I think one of the reasons that I got into the work that that I'm doing now was when my my dad died suddenly and mom and dad had been married for 53 years and they had done they were very involved in an organization that they were in the car driving someplace all the time, far away, a lot, lots of things. And they always—they had decided that they were going to die together in a car accident, especially with the ambulance company. They'd seen so much of that. They just said that they knew that's how they were going to go. And when dad left without mom, she was not happy. (laughs) (laughs) And she didn't get happy until years later when she got the diagnosis of an inoperable brain tumor. (laughs) She cried at first, and then she started smiling again. Because she finally felt like she was going to be where she wanted to be after all this time. And it it just kind of broke my heart to see her be that sad for that long that she just didn't live those last years of her life. And it made me commit to not living the last years of my life in a way that wasn't as positive as it could be. So that not only would I smile, but hopefully I'll, I'll help other people smile too.
1: Yeah. Thank God. What a beautiful story. I love that. My mother was never happy after my father died. Never. And I spent time trying to make her happy. Of course, her Leo son, Italian, you know, Italian boy, you got to be happy. Eat some pasta. Mm -hmm. And when my mother passed, when my mother made her transition, she had been ill off and on. And she was in, uh, I had her in a skilled nursing facility right near me. And I knew that she was in the dying process, but I, you know, I thought it was a couple days away, and I had been over to see her, and they called to tell me that she had stopped breathing. Oh, Mrs. Carlini, Georgia, she's not breathing. The nurse of of all these years said, should I come over? Of course I should come over. (laughs) But, (laughs) But when I went in the room, mother looked more peaceful than I'd seen her look since my father died. And it was it it was a great uh, relief to me to to feel what you said, that she was finally had that she was happy now, that she really wasn't happy without dad. I don't remember how long they were together quite a while. It's just I was just stunned at how peaceful she looked. And and thank goodness I have that picture in my mind. I'm thankful for that.
0: It's, It's so important. And I think with having the experiences we've had, we we really recognize the value of taking care of yourself and taking care of your, your heart and taking care of your happiness. Yeah. And, it, you know, I I love my parents. They've been gone a long time because I was born late in their life. And I it would be nice if I would have been able to be with them longer, but I will love them forever just the same.
1: And we have to talk about it more as we mm-hmm. said. We we have to get ready for that. We we have to stop saying I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But we Absolutely. have to say, well let's talk about it. Let's, you know, you want to plan plan your funeral? Let's plan it. Let's have fun planning.
0: I have a friend. Actually, I I have the this uh, the Grief and Happiness Alliance now that meets every week to write and do happiness practices, and we have a nonprofit foundation that supports that, so that the people that come to it don't need to pay. that That they they come because of the generosity of this foundation, and the president of my foundation is a very fascinating person, uh, Reverend Rachel Hollander, and she has her whole everything to do with anything about her dying planned out in, in every bit of detail that she possibly can. And she reviews it with her mom at least once a year and goes over. And if anything needs to be adjusted, it's adjusted so that she knows it's going to turn out just the way she wants it. She's had some unfortunate experiences on the way. Like she she had one friend who really wanted her to sing at his funeral. uh, And he was very young and nobody anticipated he would die at that age. But he hadn't told anybody but her. And the family didn't want that kind of music at the funeral. They wanted the traditional church music that they had. Well, he wasn't involved in that church and didn't have anything to do with it and didn't want that. And had told Rachel. But uh, she didn't get to sing at his funeral. And she, she just said, I'm I'm not going to have it that way. Um, and she's, she, she it sounds like a fabulous thing she's got planned. It's quite wonderful. And I, I think it's so cool to really think about what kind of celebration you'd like to have. And I, I mentioned to you before about Ron said he really wanted to have a service at Agape. Well, Agape on the mainland and we're here, but we did it anyway because that's what he wanted to have.
1: And it's what is so important is having a quality of life before you die. Mm-hmm. And then saying, this is what I want when I do die. This is how I want to be honored. This is how I want to be celebrated. This is how I want to have my body for the rest. And it's honored by mm-hmm. family and friends because they know what it is that he wants. I, I remember walking down the aisle with my friend Sal's ashes, with his mother beside me, and this was during the AIDS epidemic, and it was in an Episcopal church, and there were several priests in front of us, and Sal had specifically said he wanted Boku incense. He wanted a (laughs) lot of incense. Well, there was a lot of incense, and people were starting to wheeze. (laughs) The, The priest says, well, we don't usually have this much sense, but Sal wanted it. So here it is. Yeah, I just thought that was, oh, I love, love that. That. <laughs> that was just so Sal. <laughs> That's
0: so cool. So it's when it's, it's that person. I know Jacques' celebration was absolutely amazing. Be, besides being a philosophy professor, he also was a singer and actor. And he did lots of uh, community theater and and some paid acting and, He was a fabulous, fabulous singer and a a really good friend of his, who who was also an actor, was very creative. And he had since moved to Georgia and we were in California and he called and he said, can I do the service? And I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure whatever you do would be fabulous. And as a theater person, he orchestrated the whole thing. It was amazing. He used the the play Our Time, uh, not Our Time, Our Town. Uh-huh. You know, Our Town with the stage manager. Yeah, he played the part of the stage manager, oh, wow. and he did the whole thing in character. And he wove everything in that that happened for the service into that idea with with the music, with different people singing, with all of Jacques' family's very musical, and the different kids, grandkids he had played their instruments and. We had friends that sang. We had, of course, theater people had to do theater things, and oh, yeah, it was amazing! It yeah. was absolutely incredible, and he would have been absolutely thrilled to death. And one of the best things was back back in the olden days. He was a lot older than I was. He he had a live radio show in Los Angeles where he sang, and this other guy played the piano. He really did have a beautiful voice, and there were some old, scratchy seventy eight records. That had been recorded then. And we didn't have a 78 player, so I hadn't had a chance to listen to them. But since I worked at the university, the sound guy, tech guy at the university said, Let me see what I can do. So when we walked into the service, Jacques was singing.
1: Oh, oh, be still my heart. Oh, how wonderful. It was incredible. he really not to experience shock. I mean. And unfortunately, we run away from that.
0: Yeah. We yeah. run
1: away from that. We yeah. run away from that. We go to these sterile, uh, organized religion uh, of funeral services that uh, you're up, down, doing this and that and the other, and going to cemeteries in the middle of blizzards. And I don't know. that That just, you know, I did a funeral once. With, or a memorial service i should say but it was a funeral as well because it was a cascaded funeral and the woman was an equestrian and it was a bit there were 400 people there and people on horseback came in it oh, was wow, cool. wonderful it was just wonderful and and everybody would started to cry you know and, and was able to get in touch with who she was and that's the part that everybody resonated with. And they got to be with it there and be with her.
0: Yeah. That's that's so special. I know uh, Ron's dear, very dear friend, the, the one who died that got me started writing this book was a USC alum and very big wig alum there. And he lived about, I guess it was about three hours away from USC and when they, they got, they had his service at a, a Catholic church that was at the high school, the Catholic high school. And so when the people came out of the church, here comes a USC marching band across the football field.
1: Oh, I love that. Oh. <laughs>
0: that is so cool. He would have loved that. Yes. It was just really, really cool. And and Ron's ash scattering that we did here in, in Maui before we went over for the service at Agape. I really didn't know that many people at that time. And I did have a very close friend that had actually moved over here when we moved over here because we had a cottage that we were going to rent. And so she came over and rented the cottage and she's fabulous, one of my dearest friends. And she made the arrangements and we had it at the beach and she had a Hawaiian kapuna do the service in, in the full Hawaiian regalia. And he did it all in Hawaiian. And I had no idea what he was saying, but at one point he came over and he knelt down beside me and he whispered this whole long thing into my ear. I don't, I don't know what he said, but I felt it in my heart. It was really fabulous. And all the people that came to the service amazed me because, as I said, we didn't get to know that many people here, but his doctor came, our gardeners came, the housekeepers came, uh, friends of friends, people that we didn't, we knew a lot of musicians, and they came. And what got me was they all brought flowers out of their yard in, in bags. And when we got on to these these uh, the canoes that are, tied together two big long canoes and they they it's like a catamaran but it's not fancy like a catamaran it's a canoe we we got in those together took the bags with us paddled way out into the ocean and then had the the ashes and the flowers all floating out in the water at the same time oh oh so services can be anything you want them to be anything that strikes your heart anything that would, cause great memories for anybody who came to the the service, what what our celebration, whatever it is that you choose to have, but choose, you know, plan, figure out, tell somebody, don't just make it up in your head and never share it.
1: Yeah, that's it. Say that again. Don't just make it up in your head and never share it because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We know, but we just don't share it. We're afraid nobody wants to talk about it or, Maybe we're afraid to talk about it, even though we rationalize it in our head. You know, well, if I don't tell anybody, it'll never happen, you know. know,
0: I won't won't die if nobody knows what I want for my funeral. There
1: you go. Oh, I love that one. We could write a book on that title.
0: My mother-in-law used to always say, if
1: I die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, this has been so delightful talking to you. It's certainly a happy podcast. And I'm sure people will be smiling along with us when they listen to this. And and that's just great. And I will get those URLs and the addresses from Richard and we'll put them in the show notes so that you can have them. So don't don't worry if if you missed them as we were going along and you'll be able to, to have access to those and use those. And I guess our message from today is just be happy and plan your celebration. So, <laughs> we'll see you again next week. Do you want more comfort, support and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode